Well, hey, welcome. Uh, my name is Jacob. If we have not met, uh, I would like to meet you afterwards. That'd be uh, a good time. And, but we are going to continue <laughs> our, uh, our series in Philippians today. Uh, we are going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 18. That's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, but we've realized that uh, as we are studying through a book of the Bible like this, um, that Philippians is all tied together, right? It is a letter that is written by Paul to the church at Philippi. Uh, the entire letter, if you read it straight through, takes about 15 minutes. Uh, so why are we spending nine weeks on it? Um, well, because there's lots of theologically deep good stuff that uh, we need to uh, dive in and study. But what we were talking about today is directly tied to what we talked about last week as Alex uh, preached. And so I want us to quickly look at uh, the text from last week before we start getting into the text for today. And so we're going to be looking at Philippians 2 chapter, or chapter 2 verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though was the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, right? God became flesh in Jesus. He humbled himself to do that. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. So we see this beautiful text that Jesus humbles himself in obedience to the point of death on the cross. And because he humbled himself, God then glorified Jesus and gave him the name above every other name. Right? That is the text that we read last week. And it encourages us to also live with humility, but it encourages us to praise this good Jesus to praise this God, our Savior, who didn't stay as a God, as a deity in heaven, just far separated from us, but he came and humbled himself, made himself one of us, dwelt among us, and died for us. So as we have that on the forefront of our minds, I want us to look at our text today. So we're going to be in verse 12. Verse 13, that's where we're going to start. So Paul writes, Therefore, therefore, because Jesus humbled himself in obedience to the point of death on the cross and God exalted him, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. All right, this is like a parent or a teacher who is leaving their child somewhere or is leaving their classroom. They say, hey, there's going to be a sub tomorrow. You know how to behave. I've seen you be obedient before. So you better behave tomorrow. Or a child drops their kid off somewhere. They say, hey, you know how to behave, so make sure you're doing it. Don't make me uh, come up here, right? And so, uh, and Paul is saying, so not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So fear and trembling doesn't mean to be scared. It doesn't mean to be uh, anxious or terrified, but it means to have a reverence and a respect for God. 
This fear and trembling is something that we have um, an awe-inspiring uh, feeling before God the Father because he is so big. And so Paul, when he says, not only in my, abs- or in my presence, but in my absence, because when I am absent, guess what? God is still there. And God is still with you, and you are a people walking with God, so you should still have fear and trembling and reverence for God the Father, even though I am not there. Don't just be obedient because Dad's around. Be obedient because God is still with you. And so, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. These two verses are so important for every single person who would say that they are a Christian. For every person that is trying to live the Christian life, for every person that um, is trying to figure out how does sanctification work. This process of being made holy, right? That's what the word sanctification means. This process of being made to look more like Jesus. How does this work? These two verses help us have an understanding They help us understand what it means to look more like Jesus, that we work out our salvation, for it is God who works in us. Right? It's kind of a paradox, isn't it? If God's working and I'm working, who's actually doing the working? Well, let's look. In verse 12, that phrase, work out, when it's talking about us, the phrase to work out our salvation means to bring about, to flesh out, to put into action. That's what that word work out means. And you can only bring about a salvation if you already have it, right? We know that Paul here is not saying work for your salvation. We know that that is not possible. The Bible makes it very clear that we cannot work for or earn our salvation. But what Paul is saying is that we bring about what is already within us, right? Because it is God who works in you. It is God who works in you so that you can work it out of you. God is the one who offers salvation. He is the one who saved you. You can't save yourself. You did not save yourself. You will not save yourself. That only comes through God and what Jesus did. And it is his spirit that is moving and working in you. So we work out that which God works in. That's what Paul is saying here. We work out, we flesh out, we bring about that which God does inside of us. And so salvation comes through Christ alone, right? We know that that through Jesus' perfection, through his death and his resurrection, that is the only way that we can be saved, right? And it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? That is the only way that you can be saved. That's the only way your sins are forgiven, And so when we place our faith in Christ, when we place our faith in Jesus, we begin to live that out through his power, right? This word work out, as I said in verse 12, for us means to bring about, to flesh out. But this word works when it's talking about God working in us in verse 13 is actually this word called energeo. Energeo means to work to cause, to carry into effect to work for a purpose, right? And so this Greek word is actually where we get the English word energy, energeo, energy. And so really 
God's work inside of us is the thing that powers us, the thing that gives us the ability, the source of energy to work out our salvation, right? That it is God's cause, it is his energio, his work within us to cause us to work out our salvation. Paul is saying that we work out which God works in us. So, um, I understand this is a little confusing, right? So I, I hope that this illustration helps you a bit. It helps me. Um, so imagine you're a kid, all right? And Christmas morning, you walk into your living room. Um, you walk and you, you see the tree. And next to this tree is this shiny new bike with a bow on it. This big old red bow. It's not a Lexus, sorry, but it's a bicycle because you're a child. And you get this bike You didn't buy this bike, you didn't build this bike, you didn't earn this bike, but it was a gift that was given to you. So what is the logical next step? Learn how to ride the bike, right? You go outside, you hop on it, you fall over, you run into cars, you don't know how to stop, right? You learn how to ride the bike, you learn how to use the gift that was given to you. But your dad, who gave you the gift, is going to be holding you up. And your dad is going to be helping you steer. And your dad is going to be pushing you along. Right? That is what it means for us to work out our salvation. That we have this gift of salvation. And now what do we do? We have to learn how to flesh it out. We have to learn how to put this gift of salvation into practice. But your dad, God the Father, is working in you to help you do that. And unlike the illustration of a bike, hopefully one day you learn how to ride a bike on your own. But with salvation, we are never at the point where we no longer need our Father to help us and to work with us and through us. Right? For your entire life, you're going to be riding a bike with your dad pushing you along with the training wheels on it. Right? That's what salvation looks like. That's what sanctification looks like. It's a slow process throughout your entire life of working out, using the gift that God has given us of salvation. This text is so important for us. We can't get this wrong because when we get this wrong, it's detrimental because it can cause pride. And pride says, I worked hard, so I earned what I got. I deserve the credit. But we know that we can't earn our own salvation, right? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says that by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, but it is a gift of God so that none shall boast. And I know maybe you believe that God saved you and salvation is from God, but I think sometimes we get prideful when we think that God saved me, absolutely, but then he handed me the baton and said, you take it from here. A lot of times we think, yeah, my salvation, I'm going to go to heaven, that I know that I'm not going to go to hell anymore, I know my sins are forgiven, but it's up to me to figure out how to live my life the right way. It's up to me to take it from here. And that is foolish, that is prideful, and that is wrong. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, we have laziness. Right? Laziness says that I don't need to do anything. I can let go and let God Has anybody ever heard that before? Let go and let God. This is kind of along the same line of thought as like Jesus take the wheel. Um, As your pastor, I advise you not to let Jesus take the wheel. I advise you to hold on to the wheel. 
and, and to drive your car yourself. Um, we can't just say let go and let God, right? Because what that does is it makes us sit idly by in our lazy boy, hoping that God is one day going to drag us along to good deeds and to good things. Right? That is not the gospel. There are times where we need to um, release things to God, where we need to let go of certain things in our life and let God figure those out. But when it comes to our growth, our spiritual growth and our sanctification, to just put it all on God and have no responsibility for yourself, that is wrong and that is lazy. If this gift is given to you of salvation, God wants you to use it and put it into action. Theologian Dallas Willard has a quote. It's a little long, but I'm just going to read through it. The enemy in our time is not human capacity or overactivism. It's not that we're too busy. It's not that we do too much. But the enemy is passivity. The idea that God has done everything and you are essentially left to be a consumer of the grace of God and that the only thing you have to do is find out how to do that and do it regularly. I think this is a terrible mistake and accounts for the withdrawal of active Christians from so many areas of life where they should be present. It also accounts for the lack of spiritual growth, for you can be sure that if you do not act in an advised fashion consistently and resolutely, you will not grow spiritually. We all know that Jesus said in John chapter 15, without me you can do nothing, but we need to add, if you do nothing, it will be assuredly without him. If we do nothing in our lives, if we just accept the free ticket to heaven and we do nothing else, you will not grow spiritually. You are missing out what God has for you in this life, and Jesus is not in your slothfulness. And so, I get it, this may be difficult to understand. How do I work out my salvation if God is the one working out in me? Is it God who does the work, or is it me who does the work? Yes. Both. You do the work because God is doing the work in you. The only reason that you can do the work, the only reason that you can defeat sin, the only reason that you can stop doing that thing you know you need to stop doing is because God is working within you. It is both of you that work, that we work out our salvation because God is working in us. And get this, in verse 13, what does it say? It said, to will and to work for his good pleasure. Not only does God make you do good things, God is not this parent who just makes you clean up your room, but he actually gives you the will to want to clean up your room. Right? That's, that's not a command. You don't have to clean your room. Like, you should, but it's not a command. And so God doesn't just change what we do, but he changes our heart. This, this is absolutely crazy, guys. We can't overlook this, that God works in you to change what you want in life. So when you don't want to obey, when you don't know how to obey, God will align your heart with his. And when there are certain issues in your life that are certain things that you don't want to let go of, maybe you love Jesus, but you don't want to let go of that lifestyle that you're living. Maybe there's a couple things that you're holding on to and you say, God, you can have all that stuff, but I, I don't want to let go of this thing. God will actually change your heart to give you the will and the desire to let go of those things so that you can work out your salvation. This is 
Nothing short of a miracle. This is a miracle. People think that miracles don't happen anymore. This is a miracle that happens within the heart of every single person who is living for Christ. The process of sanctification, the process of looking more like Jesus does not make any logical sense, but it is a miracle that takes place in the heart of every believer that is growing spiritually. All right? We work out our salvation because God works in us and he changes our desires. This should bring us peace. This should bring us joy. This should give us um, a reason to praise God because he had saved us and he didn't leave us on our own. But Jesus saved us and then he walks with us in life. And so as we move on to verse 14, we get an example of how we can work out our salvation. What area, what way can we work this out? In verse 14, it says, do all things. All here uh, translates to all. Um, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. He says, do all things without grumbling, without complaining, without moping, without being negative, without arguing, without disputing. We live in a world that likes to complain, don't we? We live in a world that negativity is so common, that arguing and disputing is so common, it's actually even encouraged, I believe, uh, that if you're not happy about something, you are encouraged to let people know. Stand up for yourself, right? Tell them how you truly feel. It's complaining, it's grumbling, and Paul is saying, hey, listen, church, be content, have joy, do not fall into the temptation of grumbling and complaining and being negative, but have joy in all things. What did Jesus do? Well, at the text that we read last week and read earlier, well, it said what did, he emptied himself to take on human form. He didn't tell God, God, I don't want to do this. God, the Father, I like it up here in heaven. I don't, I don't want to do that. He didn't grumble. And when he humbled himself to the point of death on the cross, he didn't argue. He didn't dispute. He didn't say, no, I don't feel like it today. This isn't a fair thing that I have to do. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus was beaten. He was mocked. He was scorned. He was spat on. He was made fun of. He was questioned. He was called names and things that were not true about him. And never once did he open his mouth and clap back at somebody. Never once did he grumble or argue or complain. So we shouldn't either. This is the theme of this letter to the Philippian church. This is the whole idea that we should have joy in all things, that we should find contentment in life. Don't forget that Paul is writing this while he's in prison for sharing the gospel. And Paul is saying, hey, don't grumble. Don't dispute. And what's the result? 
you will be blameless children of God in the midst of a crooked and twisted world. In this dark world that we live in that is so common to be negative and complain and grumble, you will stand out when you work out your salvation in the way of not being like that. Because the rest of the world just complains about every single thing. Christians, we're not called to do the same. When I think of uh, the most like negative places on the planet, um, I think of the DMV and the airport. Um, MVD out here in Arizona, actually. Um, but thank the Lord I have not been to the DMV recently, uh, but I have been to an airport recently. And uh, before our plane was taken off, we were sitting there waiting, and I was going to get a little tag for, um, for the stroller so they could take it and put it on the plane. And uh, while I was up there at the desk, this, uh, this man walked up. And so our flight got delayed for a little bit, not that long. And this man walked up, and he was fire coming out the ears. And uh, he said, well, hey, since y'all delayed this flight, I have, to, I have a transfer flight that I have to catch when we land in Chicago. And, uh, and so I'm going to need to load the plane quicker so I can sit at the front. We're flying southwest, so you can sit wherever. Right? So I need to get on the plane quickly so I can get off quickly so I don't miss my flight because y'all, y'all canceled the, or pushed the flight back. And I'm sitting there just kind of, you know, paying attention. Uh, I just overheard it. I wasn't trying to. Um, um, and, uh, and, and, you know, he's yelling at this, like, 22-year-old girl who obviously controls the weather and all of Southwest. Um, and uh, she was like, okay, well, hey, it's going to cost you however much money. And he was like, oh, well, I guess I'll just pay for it because y'all changed the flight. And they're like, okay, yeah, you will. Uh, and then so he did, and he's kind of groveling, talking under his breath. And, uh, and then as he, he got his boarding pass, and he goes, well, I'll see you on Google. Man. Because in this world, we live in a place where when you're unhappy, you go to the internet and you let people know it, right? So he was going to complain. He was going to grumble. He was going to let his voice be heard on Google about how terrible Southwest is, right? Complaining is contagious, but so is joy. Complaining is so easy to fall into the negativity of saying things and, and, and talking bad about other people and boosting ourselves up in pride because we don't deserve what we had to go through because of these people, that we would never do something like that. So we complain about others. We complain about situations. We complain that life isn't fair. But when you instead choose joy and contentment. When you choose to walk around in life holding your tongue, not speaking against people when you feel wronged or hurt, you shine as lights in the world. The actual phrase here says you shine as lights in the cosmos. You shine as stars in the sky when you decide to walk around with joy and contentment. This world is a place that is lacking joy and it's craving it. It craves joy and it doesn't even know it. And so as Christians, we should be joy suppliers, 
right? We should be taking joy to the people in this world. We should be taking the joy that we have down, down in our heart, and we should be giving it to the people of this world who so severely need it and want it. But too many times, we fall into the habit of grumbling or arguing, being negative, or finding fault with every single thing around us. Church, Jesus has saved you. Church, your sins are wiped clean. You have everlasting peace, everlasting joy. You have everlasting life with the Father in communion with Him. What do we have to complain about? What do we have to grumble about? Because when we do that, our negativity steals our witness to the world. That's what Paul says here. When you don't complain, you will shine as lights in the world. In this crooked and warped generation, you will be the light. And we can't make a difference if we're acting the same. If we look just like everybody else, nothing is going to change. So why are we content? What does it say in verse 16? At the beginning of verse 16, it says, We hold fast to the word of life. If you know the truth, if you know the gospel and you have found truth in Jesus, you have the truth so you can have contentment because you know that this world is not your home. You know that your hope is not found in this place. Your treasures are not stored on earth, but they are stored in the things of heaven. Christ is our reward. Christ is our reward. That's where our joy comes from not from our circumstances. So Paul then goes on in the rest of verse 16 through 18 and says, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud. Right? Hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul's entire life was on mission to see Christ glorified. That is his sole purpose in life, that as long as this Philippian church was working out their salvation, as long as this Philippian church was holding true to the word of life, as long as this Philippian church was um, proclaiming and showing the world Jesus by the way that they lived, all of his suffering was worth it. All of his beatings, all of his imprisonments, even if he was poured out, if he was drained, if he was emptied, if he was used up completely, he says it was all worth it to see you live out who Christ has called you to be. Because what's most important to Paul is the gospel. What's most important is to see Jesus glorified and magnified. Let me tell you, that is our heart for you. As a pastor of this church, I can say that for myself, for Alex, for Amanda, uh, with your kids and you in the, as the families, uh, all of the effort, all the work that we do, everything that we do throughout the week to make sure church happens, to make sure that home groups happen, to make sure that you can come and learn about God, all of it 
is worth it. All of the calls that we get of crises and, and things going on, it's all worth it to see you work out your salvation and shine as lights in the world. It is worth it to see you as the church grow spiritually. It is worth it to see you take your salvation not just as a ticket that you have crumpled up in your pocket that when you get to heaven, you're going to pull it out and say, uh, I got this when I was a little kid. I haven't done anything with it my entire life, but I had this free ticket of salvation that I accepted when I was a kid, and, and I just lived my life however I wanted to from then on out. No, but to grow in your salvation, to grow into what it means to live and to look like Christ. That's why this church exists. That's why all churches should exist. Every day when we leave this place, we say, be the church and display the kingdom. Don't repeat it. <laughs> Every week we say it. Be the church. What does that mean? It means to work out your salvation. It means to be what God saved you to be. To be who God designed you to be. To live as you are called to live in the scriptures. And then display the kingdom. What does that mean? It means to be a light in this world. That we live in a dark world and a little light goes a long way. So display the king, display the goodness of God, display Jesus as you live. Be the church, display the kingdom. That's what Paul's life was. And we should follow in Paul's footsteps because, fall, or because Paul followed in the footsteps of Christ. That Christ emptied himself, that Christ humbled himself to become a servant, to become a sacrifice for us. So let's full circle here. Going back into last week's text, I'm going to try to sum this up. Jesus humbled himself in obedience to the point of death on the cross. So we should work out our salvation to be obedient, for it is God who works in us not to grumble or complain, but to be shining lights in this dark world as we look like Jesus, who is working in us to work out our salvation, to look like Jesus, who works in us to look like Jesus. You get it? It's this pattern. That's what sanctification is. That is what it means to live as Christians. It doesn't mean that we have this ticket and we sit down and we're in our lazy boy and we have our salvation so we're good, so we just live our life how we want. It means that we put effort into living as Christians. We put effort into living like Christ, knowing that it is Christ's power within us. It is Christ's spirit working within us to look like Jesus. So we magnify Christ and all that he's done when we live in obedience and when we live in joy through him. That's the process. That's the goal. That's what we are called to do. Let's pray. God, I, uh, I pray that, that this working of you within us, that this miracle that is illogical and confusing, I pray that it would be understood um, deep into our hearts and our minds of every believer that is here.
that we wouldn't live with passivity or laziness, that we wouldn't live in disobedience, but that we would work out what you were working within us. I also pray against any pride that, that, uh, that says that we can do this on our own, the pulling up of our bootstraps uh, and accomplishing good things on our own. God, we know that that is not possible, and so we need you. We need you to work within us so that we can be obedient to your words. God, I pray that you would help us to be a people of contentment and joy. Throughout this book, Paul talks about contentment. We'll see it over and over again. I pray that we would be people who practice contentment, who have contentment, who have joy because our prize is found in you. That as we do that, we would shine as lights in this world. That people would see you when they see us. I pray against the spirit of grumbling, the spirit of negativity that is so easy to fall into. I see it in my own life. I pray that we would work that out of us. That we would get rid of any negativity, any argumentativeness that kills our witness to this world. And Lord, I pray for the person who does not have a relationship with you who has not yet stepped into faith. God, I pray that they would trust in you and in your truth and your gospel for the first time today, that they would believe that you died for them, for their sins, to forgive them of that, and that they would place their faith in you right now. And I pray that they would begin to live in, obe in obedience with your spirit within them, Lord, I pray that if the person who is in here today knows that they need to start living for you, who feels the call of the Spirit, the pull of the Spirit to change some things in their life, I pray that they would first have the work of you, the work of your salvation within them, and that you would begin to move and work in their lives. Jesus, I just thank you that you humbled yourself and you died, and you didn't stay dead, but you are with us now, moving and working in our lives to spur us on to good deeds. Jesus, we pray all these things in thanksgiving and in your name. Amen.